Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello and welcome to our Friday casual chats. I'm Holly Fry. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. Uh, Tracy, this week we talked about Lester Hemingway. We did. Lesser known sibling of Ernest. I didn't realize that Ernest Hemingway came from a family of six children. Yeah. They had a lot of kids, those Hemingways. Uh, and Lester is a, a such a fascinating figure to me because he did, I mentioned it in the episode, he did sort of happily live in his his brother's shadow and be the support system in some ways for his brother. Although his brother had also been a support system to him when he was a, a young boy. Uh, but then that whole, <laughs> you mm-hmm. mentioned when you got the outline, that third act takes a turn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't really know. Here's, I mean, I've read Hemingway. I studied literature, unsurprisingly. But, like, the things that I associate with Hemingway most are Key West and Cats with Extra Toes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of which I now have two cats with extra toes. I did not know anything about his brother at all. So as I was reading through the thing, like, at first I was like, this is a pretty uh, refreshing but kind of you know, like a biography of the sibling of the famous person, it's refreshing in that he did seem to not mind that he was in his brother's shadow. I think a lot more often you hear more dramatic stories of people who feel like they can't escape their brother's shadow and it has a whole different tone. And then I was like, wait, an island? <laughs> <laughs> and then, then I got to the question of, okay, he had this raft, he anchored it off the coast of Jamaica, he said that he was claiming it under the Guano Islands Act. And then I was like, was there guano on it? Well, and I never found anything about that because I wondered the same thing. My my supposition is that he put his raft out there and he waited until a seabird came and pooped on it. And mm-hmm. then he claimed it because that's all you had to, or that wasn't all, but that was one of the the requirements of claiming, a, a, it still is a requirement of claiming land for the United States under that act, is that it has to be a source of guano. Right. So I presume, I mean, if you put any structure out in the open water for very long, a bird will find it. Sure. And just, you know, as a good resting place for a minute or two. Yeah. So it's a safe bet that if you put a structure, it's a little, if you build it, they will poop kind of right. situation. <laughs> um but then it's uh, – I had the secondary thought that may make me sound terribly prissy of um, if you're doing this and half of the island is set aside theoretically under this act to be a guano uh, source, i.e. a bird sanctuary of some sort, not officially uh, under the title of sanctuary. But that raft is not very big. That, so your country I, yeah. is abutted against um, excrement harvest, which doesn't sound fun at all. No. No, I just I had I had a lot of questions about the whole raft plan. I did too, but I also love it. Yeah, and my husband is very ready to go uh, find an island somewhere and claim it. Yeah, I'm not sure how he thinks this is going to work. I mean, I like the idea of setting up like a a party planet or a sure <laughs> like sure. A, <laughs> A place you can go and have people come and and have cocktails and laugh, but I'm fundamentally too lazy to do such things. Yeah, I I also feel like of all the various stories we have told over the years, uh, or that exist. I mean, we it's only come up on the show maybe a couple times, but there are other stories 
um, of a white person trying to found a country in the Caribbean, it's like the less problematic because it was his own little raft and not Mm. a place that he just showed up and said, I am king of this now. Yeah, to be fair, the Guano Islands Act has been used. Absolutely. To claim islands where other people were like, hello, we live here. We live here. Um, and have been contested. I think uh, I read I read the stat that a hundred, something like a hundred islands have been claimed under that law, but most of them were, did not actually meet the criteria and mm-hmm. were, were abandoned for that effort. Uh, thankfully, though, it's also less of a uh, an economic driver because we don't need guano. You can go to your local uh, hardware or home store and find all kinds of fertilizer, some of which is synthetically produced. Yeah. Uh, and not have to worry about going and finding an island with some on it. Yeah. <laughs> if you just want to hop around islands or build a raft... Uh, It is interesting. One of the things that I didn't go into depth uh, about in that episode is that in his write-ups about uh, New Atlantis in Jamaican papers, they seem to find him quite delightful. They're not like, what is this doofus dude trying to do off our coast? They're like, he seems nice. His intentions seem good. He doesn't seem like he's trying to cause a problem. Mm -hmm. He wants to do some science. Great. Oh, Lester Hemingway, you yeah. fascinate me utterly. Uh, so the other the other topic that we had today was my interview with Dr. Kalinda Lee from the Atlanta History Center, who I adore. <laughs> um, you can hear my adoration for her in that interview. Uh, one of the things that did not come up, one of the artifacts in that exhibit that really, really struck me and that Howard pointed out to me initially while we were there together We know about racism and segregation, and those are things we have talked about, but there was this one item that made it so obvious just how deep the roots of it were, still are in many places. There was a mailbag that was, uh, that's part of the exhibit, and it's like a, a, a mailbag that has, you know, two sides, and the sides are labeled so that one is white people's mail and one is black people's mail. And it was like their racism runs so deep they didn't even want their mail touching. Yeah, we like we hear so much about water fountains and bathrooms and bus seats. And I think this is the first time that I've heard about segregated mail sorting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I um it it was one of those moments where you just look at it and you're like, well, <sighs> like there it again, it's so clear that the roots are so deep at that point. Mm-hmm that it's um, very disturbing. But as we talked about in that interview, ultimately that exhibit is so really, really celebratory of all of the activism that was happening in big and small ways that it is, even though there are moments like that, and there are, I mean, there are, you know, clan robes on display and things that are very hard to look at and to to think about but so much real and really what you leave with is this beautiful sense of like just the perseverance of spirit and how there have always been people working for betterment uh which is a really wonderful way to pace that exhibit out i loved it so much um and i also got to walk around the the cyclorama while i was there which i haven't seen since the restoration on it i haven't Um, seen it ever 
You haven't? Mm-mm. I went when I was in college for something, and I don't remember. And that was when it was over um, um, in Grant Park. And I I mean, the I actually would love to do an episode about the Cyclorama's history because it has a long and interesting history. And in terms of art preservation and restoration and and how it's story. I mean, the thing that's that's interesting is that that was never meant to be a historical document. It was always intended to be an entertainment device. Right. And so, um, you know, hanging closely to reality historically was not ever a big prominent issue, but it also shifted around a lot <laughs> over time. When it moved to the South, it got repainted in some ways that were very historically inaccurate. Uh, and it has since been restored And also just, again, from a preservation standpoint, the things they have done to make sure that it is uh, something that is not just preserved for now, but they have also put aside money to make sure that they have ongoing maintenance and preservation for it. It's very, very cool. Um, I I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. We got shushed because we were talking about the history of it while a tour was going through, and one of the tour ladies shushed us. But uh, (laughs) and I almost wanted to go. You're actually missing out on the best information over here (laughs) 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 because I was getting a whole private tour of my own. Uh, But it is really—it's an interesting thing. If you are from Atlanta and you grew up going to the Cyclorama as a a grade schooler or at some other point in your education, you were probably forced to go, and you were like, ugh. I actually encourage you to go and see it now because, one, again, the restoration is beautiful. But, two, it's all contextualized now that it's at the History Center and they talk about what its its history meant and why it is important to, to see it, both as a part of entertainment history and, and as a representation of how people have seen history from their own points of view over time. Uh, and they that whole area is really, really beautifully done. So I highly recommend it. Uh, and again, I cannot recommend uh, Black Citizenship in the Age of Jim Crow strongly enough. As I mentioned in that interview, that art section at the end is like breathtaking. There's some really beautiful pieces. So highly recommend. Yeah, I envy your trip and your, your interview. I know, I'm a very spoiled child. And I want Kalinda to come on all the time. If you would like to write to us, you can do so at historypodcast at iheartradio.com. You can also find us on social media as Missed in History. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You can do that on the iHeartRadio app at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.